Welcome back to episode 61 of Ancient Worlds podcast. So today we're going to cover the third part of the purgatory and the whole drama that's playing out in uh, the earthly paradise in the Garden of Eden. So the purgatory, the whole book, uh, like the second part of the whole comedy, is the mountain of purgatory and it has three parts. The first one is the Anta purgatory, those who are waiting to get into starting the climb. Then you have the seven terraces with uh, seven sins and the punishments, the atonement. And then they get into the Garden of Eden. And this part is perhaps one of the most intense and dramatic and symbolic parts of the whole work. Uh, it's like Dante is just shifting his whole approach to the writing and it, at times it gets very intense um, in both a, kind of the deeper meaning and the, the visual beauty and the, the feeling of it, uh, which is in part what he wants to do to, to show that this is where we are changing from the first two books into the third book, which is the paradise and the more spiritual, uh, like divine part of his work. So the whole Garden of Eden is a, is a transition into a different kind of writing and a different kind of thinking and experiencing his poetry. Uh, and this comes gradually. And, and it's also then uh, showing us the last part of going through the cleansing of the sins. So we'll, uh, this is, so we have six cantos for the last part. And for the four last of them, Beatrice is uh, now his new guide. But first, when he steps into the heavenly forest, which is the Garden of Eden, he says the following. My forehead felt like the stirring of sweet air, whose flowing rhythm always stayed the same and struck no harder than the gentlest breeze. And in the constant moving air, each branch with trembling leaves was bending to one side, toward where the holy mount first casts its shade. So this is a description that so the, the paradise is so high above above the surface of the earth so it's not influenced by storms and the weather on on earth but it's still on the mountain on the planet so it's this gentle breeze is just because the the earth is rotating so he feels this slightly slight movement of the air which is then <laughs> bending to one side uh, so that's the first kind of otherworldly feeling of, of entering into this into this new uh, heavenly forest. And then he sees the first person, a solitary lady wandering there, as she was singing as she gathered flowers from the abundance painted on her path. So this is his first uh, uh, welcoming person. This is not Beatrice yet. Uh, this is a person called Matelda. Uh, and then she uh, explains that in order that the storms that form below caused by the vapors from the earth and sea as they are drawn upwards to solar heat should not disturb the garden's peacefulness. This mount was made to rise so high toward heaven that past the gate no storm is possible. Now since the air is moving constantly, moving as primal revolution moves unless its circulation is disturbed, here on the mountain's height, completely free in the encircling air, this movement strikes and makes the dense 
leaves of the forest sing. And then Matilda is also explaining that you have two rivers in the Garden of Eden. They're called uh, Lethe and Inui. And they are, uh, one is for uh, cleansing your sins or cleansing the emotional memory of your sins. That's the one river. And the second river is to restore all the memories of the good in your life. So she says, The water here on this side flows with power to erase sin's memory. And on that side, the memory of good deeds is restored. It is called Lethe here, Inu there. Beyond, and if one does not drink here, he will come to know its powers there. The sweet taste of its waters has no peer. So this is the first introduction to the earthly paradise. And then, as he is standing, so he's watching Matelda is, is on the other side of a stream, like a little river. So he is watching her on the other side. And then, in the next canto, the 29th, there's a big uh, procession, a uh, pageant coming on the other side. So this, is, this canto is full of symbolism. Uh, so we're just going to give the overview of this. But first you have seven candlesticks that's creating this, this light, uh, streams and, and blistering light. So seven candlesticks, uh, then 24 elders coming in pairs, two and two. Then you have four creatures on the side, uh, on each corner of a chariot with a griffin in front of it. And then on the right side of the chariot, you have uh, three ladies. And on the left side, you have four ladies. And then after the chariot, you have seven men uh, walking. In two, and then four, and then one. So this whole procession is symbolic of Christianity at large. So the seven candlesticks are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit which is wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. So those are the candlesticks. Then you have the 24 elders. They represent the books of the Old Testament. And then you have the four creatures, and they are the Gospels. And they are then around the chariot, which represents the church, and the griffin in front of the church. So the griffin is from mythology. It's a... Yeah, mythological animal which is a it's a blend of an eagle and a lion and it represents in the mythology it's the e eagle is the king of the skies and uh, the lion is the king of the the earth so it's two creatures into one uh, in this case it represents the the dual nature of christ who is then dra dragging the church with the chariot uh, in the sense that christ is then uh, representing divinity and the divine and the human into one one person, one creature, one being. And then on the sides of the chariot, the three ladies on the right side are the theological virtues of faith, hope and charity. On the left side, you have the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude and temperance. And then the seven men walking behind the chariot are then the rest of the New Testament. So the, and the last person coming just by himself is uh, for the apocalypse. So 
this whole canto is just describing this whole uh, pageant coming and then stopping. And then we move into the next canto, number 30. And this is where he finally meets Beatrice. And this is, uh, here's another part where Dante is just, he is opening up this huge, uh, powerful and beautiful poetic, uh, it's like a visual and, and emotional journey into his his uh, final like realization that now she's coming and is, is unfolding in front of him. So he says, um, so one of them um, is that uh, as from heaven sang Venice Bonsa de Libano three times and all the other voices followed his. As at the final summons, all the blessed will rise out of their graves, ready to raise new-bodied voices saying, Hallelujah. <laughs> Just to rose up above the heavenly cart, a hundred spirits, ad vocem tanti senis, eternal heralds, ministers of God. So this is, now you have a hundred angels coming. All shouting, Benedictus qui venis, then tossing a rain of flowers in the air, manibus udate lilia plenis, so the, you have the hundred angels and they're starting to throw out like a rain of flowers. Sometimes as day approaches, I have seen all of the eastern sky a glow of rose, the rest of heaven beautifully clear. The sun's face rising in a misty veil of tempering vapors that allow the eye to look straight at it for a longer time. Even so, within a nebula of flowers that flowed upwards from angels' hands and then poured down, covering all the chariot, appeared a lady. So here she comes. Over her white veil, an olive crown, and under her green cloak, her gown, the color of eternal flame. And instantly, though many years had passed since last I stood trembling before her eyes, captured by adoration, stunned by awe, my soul that could not see her perfectly still felt succumbing to her mystery and power, the strength of its enduring love. So this is the moment in the work where he meets Beatrice. And the way she's described is also many levels and kind of connotations to this, but she's also then, she represents uh, like spirituality and also revelation, sometimes like the divine revelation. So Dante is then, um, he sees this and then he wants to talk with Virgil. So he says, uh, so he, he turned to the left with all confidence that makes a child run into his mother's arms when he is frightened and needs comforting. He said to Virgil, not one drop of blood is left inside my veins that does not throb. I recognize sins of the ancient flame. But Virgil was not there. So this is the point in the story where Virgil has finally left. He crowned Dante the Lord of himself and now he has also disappeared. Which is also that reason, uh, Virgil as a symbol of reason, rationality, is now disappearing. Now it's the emotional and the spiritual uh, world and the spiritual part of, of being that's coming into the forefront. But then, so Beatrice arrives in, in, in this splendor of beauty, but then when she starts to speak, there's a, a surprise for Dante, and then, because she's, she starts to attack him for his uh, faults in life. So first she says, uh, yes, look at me. Yes, I am Beatrice. 
So, you have at last deemed to climb the mount. You learned at last that here lies human bliss. I lowered my head and looked down at the stream, but filled with shame at my reflection there, I quickly fixed my eyes upon the grass. So he's still, he's still on the other side of the stream. He's looking at the, the pageant and then now Beatrice. And uh, she's starting to, to confront him. And then he, he looks down at the water, but he doesn't want to see his reflection. So like he doesn't want to see himself. Uh, and then he continues. I was the guilty child fa- facing his mother, abject before her harshness. Harsh indeed is unripe pity not yet merciful and she keeps talking and then now she's talking to the angel she turned her words to that compassionate compassionate array of beings i speak to you although i speak to you my purpose is to make the one who weeps on that far bank perceive the truth and match his guilt with grief so like dante is then on the far bank on the other side Not only through the working of the spheres, which brings each seed to its appropriate end, according as the stars keep company, but also through the bounty of God's grace, reigning from vapors born so high above, they cannot be discerned by human sight. Was this man so endowed potentially in early youth, so she's talking about Dante now, had he allowed his gifts to bloom, he would have reaped abundantly. But the more vigorous and rich the soil, the wilder and the weedier it grows, when left untilled, its bad seeds flourishing. So here you come to then the main fault of Dante, that he wasted his talents and um, he lost the right path as he starts the whole work with. And uh, now he's confronted with, with this from Beatrice. I prayed that inspiration come to him through dreams and other means. In vain I tried to call him back, so little did he care. To such depths did he sink that finally there was no other way to save his soul except to have him see the damned in hell. So here we get more of the, the background of why he is he finds himself in the dark wood and, ha- and he has to go through the inferno in the first book. This... That this might be, I visited the dead and offered my petition and my tears to him who until now has been his guide. The highest law of God would not be annulled, would be annulled if he crossed Lethe, drinking its sweet flow without having to pay at least some scot of penitence poured forth in guilty tears. So here comes more of the the solution and kind of the, the final redemption in this. Uh, and this whole like we're moving into this final transformation and uh, like the confession and the the, kind of the breakdown and then the, the the flushing out of of the sins and then the full cleansing at the end here so this is the 30th and then next canto it continues you standing there beyond the sacred stream she cried not pausing in her eloquence, and turning now the sword point of her words toward me, who had already felt its blade. Speak now, is this not true? Speak. You must seal with your confession this grave charge I make. 
I stood before her paralyzed, confused. I moved my lips, my throat striving to speak, but not a single breath of speech escaped. She hardly paused. What are you thinking of? Answer me now. Your bitter memories have not as yet been purged within this stream. My fear and deep chagrin between them forced out of my mouth a miserable yes. Only by ears with eyes could it be heard. So this is the Dante is using a bit of humor here again, like he's he's being confronted, and then he he finally gives just a tiny little weak yes, I, I've done something wrong. And Beatrice continues in your journey of desire for me, leading you toward that good beyond which naught exists, to which a man's heart may aspire. What pitfalls did you find? What chains stretched out across your path? that you felt you were forced to abandon every hope of going on. And she keeps attacking him until Dante says, As children scolded into silence stand, ashamed with head bowed staring at the ground, acknowledging their fault and penitent, so I stood there. Then she, if listening can cause you so much grief, now raise your beard and look at me and suffer greater grief. So there's more to humorous part with raise your beard because she talks to him like a child, like raise your head, but he is an adult, so that's why she says beard. There's to add to it that he has been behaving badly and now he has to, has to make up for it or just face this. He also says, she called my face, my beard. I felt the venom in her words. And when I raised my head, I did not look at her, but at those first created ones that had already seized the rain of flowers. I felt the stabbing pain of my remorse. What I had loved the most of all the things that were not she, I hated now the most. The recognition of my guilt so stunned me so stunned my heart I fainted what happened then is known only to her who was the cause of it so this is the, the moment where he takes it all in he, he confesses that he, had, that he has done something wrong and then he just faints so then uh, what happens after this so he says he doesn't know because he's fainted but he wakes up and then the lady I first saw strolling alone was now bent over me so this is Matilda from the beginning saying, hold on to me, hold tight. She had led me into the stream, up to my neck, now drawing me along the, she glided light, and with a shuttle's ease across the stream. So, he, since he has now confessed, Matilda is taking him across the river, where you forget the emotional part of your sins, where you're kind of cleansed of it. And Matilda is doing this with a shuttle's ease, because this is, this is what they do to all all the souls who have climbed through the purgatory, they then enter the, the Garden of Eden and they're taken through this, this process. And now we have some more beautiful poetry. Uh, the lovely lady opening her arms embraced my head and dipped it into the stream, just enough to let me th uh, drink of it. She took me from, the, from those waters, cleansed and led me to the dance of the four lovely ones who raised their arms to join hands over me. So now he's getting onto the same side as Beatrice on the other side. We will bathe in her gaze of joyful light. Look deeply. Look within all your sight. For now you stand before those emeralds. 
from which love once shot loving darts at you. A thousand yearning flames of my desire held my eyes fixed upon those brilliant eyes that held the griffin fixed within their range. So he's at the same side, and now he sees into the eyes of Beatrice, and he sees the reflection of the griffin, meaning the reflection of the the symbol of the duality of like the divine and the and the earthly, like the divine and the human, reflected in her eyes, which is how he sees her, and also this um, symbol of how she will now be the one who is like the revelation and will guide him to the further ascent, like spiritually ascent. Turn, Beatrice, turn your sacred eyes, they sang, and look upon your faithful one, who came so very far to look at you. O splendor of the eternal living light, who have, having drunk at the Parnassian well, or became pale within that mountain shade, could find with all his poetic gifts those words that might describe the way you looked, with that harmonious heaven, your only veil, when you unveiled yourself to me at last. So unveiling is then kind of showing the truth and also the revelation. So this is the 31st canto and only two cantos left. And the 32nd canto is almost entirely devoted to Dante's opinion about the church the corruption of the church and it, it's a very scary part in some sense like it's very the imagery is like the, the chariot representing the church is being attacked and it transforms into a monster and then finally it's just it's, it disappears like a giant is taking the chariot and, and taking it off into the woods so this is a very kind of contemporary critique for Dante about what happened to the church compared to the faith in itself. And uh, he he describes in a very short kind of allegory the, the history of the church from the beginnings to the 1300 and the current times for Dante, and especially how wealth and power just corrupted the whole institution. So he also then just removes the chariot from the story, <laughs> like the church is then taken out of it. So he, he keeps the focus on Beatrice and this further ascent, but the church is now taken out. So that's the second last canto. And then for the last canto, the 33rd, the ending of the purgatory, the mood changes and it's much lighter again. So that we're going to look at two main points from this one. One is when... Uh, Beatrice is starting to, to talk and explain things to Dante and he doesn't understand it. And then when he asks her about this, he says, But your desired words, why do they fly so high above my mind? The more I try to follow them, the more they soar from sight. She said, Why do they? So that you may come truly to know that school which you have followed and see how well this doctrine follows mine. Also, that you may see that mankind's ways are just as far away from those divine as earth is from the highest spinning sphere. So he struggles to understand and she says to him that that school you have followed is mostly like philosophy, like Dante was a student of philosophy. She just wants to show him that like the, the boundaries or the limitations of that way of thinking and that way of approaching the understanding of the world. 
So she wants him to, to understand that there's a difference between the earthly and the divine. And then they come to the final part of the second uh, river, the Inui, where he is then, he gets the final washing in a symbolic sense. Uh, and then all the, uh, the good memories, or all the memories of the good, is then restored. So here before us is the stream Inui. Now lead him there, and as it is your want, re- revive his weakened powers in its flow. So then, here comes the last part of the whole second book. Reader, if I had space to write more words, I'd sing, at least in part, of that sweet draught which never could have satisfied my thirst. But now I have completed every page planned for my poem's second canticle. I am checked by the bridle of my art. From those holiest waters I returned to her reborn a tree renewed in bloom, with newborn foliage, immaculate, eager to rise, now ready for the stars. So this is the final moment of the, the purgatory. And yes, also, it has a connection back to both the the, the reed in the beginning, like the, he, he pulls up a reed and a new one is coming, the rebirth theme. And then Cato, who is also telling Virgil to to, to wash his face thoroughly for, for all the sins. And then the whole poem ends with stars, as all three books is doing. And this canticle ends on stars. Um, okay, so that's the, the end of the purge story. And uh, we're just going to add uh, very quickly um, a comment on the timeline of the, of the whole work. So this is of the whole co- the comedy as a whole. It lasts a week. It starts on like the th- late Thursday evening in the dark wood, the night to Friday, the Good Friday. So this is set in Easter in the year thirteen hundred. Uh, and then Friday, so it's night to Friday. It starts Friday night. They go into the inferno, and then they climb into the center and they come out on Sunday morning on Mount Purgatory. And then they climb. Uh, the purgatory for three days and three nights from Sunday morning to early Wednesday morning and then they spend six hours in the Garden of Eden which is what we've been talking about now and then noon on Wednesday uh, they start the ascent into the heavens which they finally end that journey on on Thursday so it lasts for one week so that's a bit of the the time structure of the work and um, even if we mentioned before, purgatory is the only place where you see time is moving with the, the sun and, and the day and the night. The inferno and the paradise are kind of timeless realms and purgatory is the one that has a different kind of movement in it. Uh, okay. So then uh, final moment uh, point here today is um, that we now finished the second book, The Purgatory. Uh, hope some of this was interesting, that you have enjoyed some of this and be Hope you've been inspired to look more into it. There's lots of more symbolism and, and uh, knowledge and wisdom and beauty to take out of the work. Uh, Dante can be like a lifelong uh, study that you can look at every now and then, every five years, every ten years, and discover new things. So um, it's just something you can have as a companion through <laughs> through your whole life if you want to. Um, and then also uh, we're going to have probably a little break now from uh, from the episodes. In the following few weeks, we're going on some travels, so uh, it might be a little bit sporadic um, for the next 
month or so, but uh, we'll keep you updated and uh, post some little uh, some episodes every now and then. So a big thank you for listening and for following us uh, the last uh, couple of months, and um, hope you have uh, hope you have a great day, and hope to see you soon. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.